You know, Jesus is wonderful. Mark, in his chronology of events, in chapter 8, speaks of Jesus taking his disciples on a northern sojourn there en route to Caesarea Philippi. But before they get there, they go through a small village called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a beautiful little place. It's a small village. It simply means village of fish. Now, there are two Bethsaidas. There's the one which is on the border of the Sea of Galilee, which is most probably the one that Jesus was, was passing through. And the other is a little further north, also on a lake on the corner of the river. That was called Bethsaida Julia, built by the Tetrarch Philip in honor of Caesar's daughter, Julia. But as Jesus came into the town of Bethsaida, let me read it to you, if I can find it somewhere. And some people brought to him a man, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. The people of that area believed in the Levitical system of the laying on of hands and the anointing of oil for the healing of the sick. And so Mark continues. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and he asked him, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, Uh huh. I see men, but they look like trees walking. Obviously, he received partial sight. He could discern things, but not in focus. So the Lord laid a hands upon him again. And he looked intently, and his eyes were restored, and he saw everything clearly. So he sent him home a different way and said, don't go into the village. My question to you this morning is a very, very simple one. Being a very simple man with a very simple mind, the question is very simple. What are you looking at? But more precisely, what do you see? What are you looking at? And what do you see? The world has three ways of looking at things. There is what is called the circle of view. That is called the spiritual view. Then thirdly, there is the scriptural view. These are the three dominant worldviews which preoccupy 
the world in which we live. The secular world view is really rebellious. It rejects anything of the supernatural. In fact, I had an experience which dealt with this a couple of months back. At the early part of the year, a colleague of mine from South Texas called and asked if I would be willing to talk to his grandson. I said, what about? He said, my grandson is at university in Fort Worth. I said, oh, good for him. I said, we have some fabulous universities in Fort Worth. He said, yes, but he's abandoning his faith. I said, oh, that's not so good. He said, so I want you to talk to him. I said, what about? He said, I want you to put some sense into him. I said, me? I said, you must be joking. He said, yes, I want you to debate the issue with him and discuss the issue with him and turn him back to faith. I said, sir, you're asking me to do an impossible thing. I said, faith comes through in times of revelation or times of desperation. Faith hardly ever comes through times of discussion. I said, you're asking me to change a young man's mind? I said, only the Lord can do that. He said, I want you to talk to him anyway. I said, okay, I'm not sure it'll do any good. He said, don't you believe in apologetics? I said, absolutely. I said, we're supposed to be able to give an answer for our faith. But that does not mean that we have the ability to change everybody else's mind. That comes through the Holy Spirit. It's he who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. I said, well, he said, will you do it? I said, uh-huh. I said, as long as you set it up. So I heard nothing about it, and I was pleasantly delighted that the thing had been forgotten. <clears throat> And then in early June, I got a phone call. He said, Des, he can do it. He'll do it on a Friday morning. He'll meet you at Starbucks. I said, okay, what time? With Starbucks, let's do it. So I turned up at Starbucks, saw this tall, elegant, Young man, he looked like a marine, ramrod straight. As I walked in, he walked to me, he said, Are you Reverend Evans? I said, Guilty. <laughs> we ordered our beverage, we sat down in the corner, and I'm saying, Lord, how on earth am I going to introduce this conversation? Shall I just say, hey, stupid? <laughs> I, 
I don't think that would be the best means to introduce a conversation. And so I'm in the middle of trying to figure out how am I going to engage? I don't know this gentleman. I hardly know his grandpa. I didn't need to worry. He introduced the subject. He said, Reverend, I'm here not because I want to be here. I'm here because I honor my grandpa and my grandma. I said, that speaks a lot about you. I said, it speaks a lot about your grandparents. He said, I'm here. He said, but I also know that we're on different sides of the spectrum. I said, okay. He's going to unload on me. And he did. He said, my grandpa. He said, uh, he has his voices of faith. He said, I believe in facts. He said, uh, my grandpa is into superstition. I'm into science. He said, my grandpa is into religion. I'm into reality. I just looked at him. You know, I have, I have no difficulty looking stupid. <laughs> so I'm just looking at him like a calf looks at a new gate. Not saying a word, not blinking my eyes or doing anything. And after every statement, he'd pause, expecting me to respond. And I disappoint him because I do not respond. Then he said, I allow science to speak to me. I said, sir, that is your first mistake. He got for air, and he splattered. What, what do you mean? I said, young man, there is an old philosophical adage. It's been in vogue for hundreds of years. And it is this, science does not speak. It's scientists who speak. Science declares a fact. Scientists interpret them. As in the fact is that scientists do not speak with a common voice. So I said, are you familiar with the controversy of Hell Creek? I said, huh? I said, good, let me tell you. <laughs> the Hell Creek in Montana happens to be one of the mother loads for finding artifacts and finding fossils in this nation. So much so that the University of Cal State decided 
that they wanted to have and a dig on that site. They appointed an eminent researcher to head up the dig, Mark Armitage, and everything was set. And so the exhibition and the program began. And they hit the jackpot. So they discovered the largest horn of an extinct species of dinosaur ever discovered. I said the universe was ecstatic. Oh, I better hurry. He said, so what? I said, everybody was thrilled about it. I said, until he, he, he filed his report. So when he filed his report, all hell broke loose. Everybody appreciated his documentation. It is accurate. Everybody appreciated the detail of the documentation. It was scientifically presented. I said, but there was one statement. And because this one statement, he was accused of trying to insert religion into science. He was accused of his bias and background. I said, do you know what that statement was? He said, no. So the statement was this. He said, I examined the horn underneath a high-powered microscope and I found to my chagrin traces of soft tissue. He said, the fact that there were traces of soft tissue proves that this animal had been dead only a few thousand years, not million years, like others have decreed. I said, that's all he said. Now, they could check the facts. Was there or was this of tissue? Yes, there was. So was his fact true? Yes, it was true. But it didn't fit with the idea of a scientific community. So Carl said, close the dig down. Because he said it was underfunded. <laughs> that, that's a laugh. Having found the horn, they had more money than I got sense. They fired Professor Amateur. You see, secular view. It simply wants to deny the existence of God. But then there's a spiritual view. And I'm not going to talk about this. It simply means find your own God. Make him up. Get a God that you don't have to be responsible or accountable to. If you want to make it planet Earth, okay, worship Giga. She hasn't said anything lately. Just find your own God. I ought to speak a lot on this because it's significant for our day. But I need to go to the third one. 
There is the scriptural view. The Bible is very, very specific. It's very elegant and eloquent. It simply says that the whole of creation has been marred by sin. But that's too broad, too vague. So it narrows in, and it says, humanity has been tainted by original sin. It's been traumatized by personal sin, and it is terrorized by societal sin. That the explosion of sin and the proliferation of sin holds people in turmoil and in torment. And it's because of that situation that though the secular view is based upon rebellion, though the spiritual view is based upon religion, the scriptural view is based upon redemption. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Redemption is not a program. It's not a project. Redemption is a person. And that person is Jesus. But who is this Jesus? Well, many people say different things about him. But what do the Bible men or women say about him? Well, Abraham didn't know his name. But he said, To you, Esana, Yitzuk, as he walked up the hills of Moriah, God himself will provide a sacrifice sometime along this. In time, he didn't know the name of Jesus. Moses didn't know the name of Jesus. But he was told that there would come a prophet likened unto him that people would have to listen to. Joshua didn't know the name Jesus. But as he stood outside the walls of Jericho, he saw a man and he called him, Sir Tzavaot Hashem. The captain of the Lord's host. That name began to morph. It went from Sevaot Hashem to Adonai Sevaot, God of hosts. It morphed further to Adonai Elohim Sevaot, the Lord God Almighty. Joshua didn't know his name, but he knew the title. Job didn't know his name. 
Job cried, he said, in my distress, I need help. I need someone who will stand between me and God. I want a daysman. He didn't know that that daysman's name would be Jesus. David didn't know his name, but he could honestly say, the Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah didn't know his name, except he says, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Ezekiel didn't know his name, but he called him the Son of Man in this mystical, magical arena. Daniel didn't know his name, but he said, I see him as the stone and cut by the human hands that come from the mountain that smashes against the feet of the Gentile arena, which concludes it so that the kingdom of God might come into being. He's talking about Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know his name. But he looked at the three Hebrew lads in the fiery furnace. He said, oh, oh, you put three in, there are four there. And the fourth one looks at the Son of God. He didn't know his name. Malachi the prophet didn't know his name. But he called him the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. Ah, but let's flip over the 400 years of so-called silence. Shimon didn't know his name, but when he took that babe in his arms, he said, Lord, let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation a light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He was talking about Jesus. John the Baptist knew his name. But he simply called him, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Matthew knew his name, but he called him the son of David. Luke knew his name, but he called him the son of Mary. John knew his name, but he called him the son of God. I'm talking about Jesus. 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 Peter knew his name. But as he looked in the mythical cave, called by the Jews, the cave of hell. Jesus said, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Peter said, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Martha knew his name when she looked at the tomb of Lazarus, that moment of defeat and darkness for her. She said, you are the one who should come into this world. She knew who he was. She talked about Jesus. The centurion on the night of crucifixion, he only vaguely knew the name 
because it had been heralded around. But when the earth began to shake, and the temple began to rock, the curtains split from top to bottom, he said, Oh, truly this was the Son of God. Stephen knew who he was. He knew his name. He'd committed his life to Jesus. And yet as he stood on the precipice, waiting to be pushed over and stoned to death, he lifted up his eyes and said, I see the Son of Man standing there in glory at the right hand of the majesty and high. The people cursed him, stoned him, and he died. Paul knew his name. Paul simply said, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and being fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Then to capsulize it all, he simply said, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifests in the flesh. He talked about Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews knows his name, but he says, God was sundry times and in diverse manners. Spake in the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the effulgence of his glory, the express image of his person, when he paid the price, sat down at the right hand of God. He talked about Jesus. He talked to the great high priest that when life seemed to be disintegrating, and coming apart, he's the one that wraps ropes of love or peace of grace around to keep them together. He's speaking of Jesus, the high priest. That when it seems though the heavens are like brass, he opens the door and says, Come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. He talked about Jesus. But I must talk one more. I talk about John. John on the Isle of Patmos was having a bad day. In fact, he had a bad week. He had a bad month. He had a bad series of years. John gets up that morning and he's determined not to allow himself to be depressed with his situation. He decides to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And as he's engaging in the spiritual disposition of worship, he hears a voice behind him. John turns to look at the voice and what he sees overwhelms him. He falls as one dead to the ground. The person touched him and said, don't be afraid, John. I am the Aleph and the Tau. I am the first and the last. John, 
I was dead, but I'm alive, and alive forevermore. And guess what, John? I hold the keys of death and hell. I, I hold the keys. The thing that amazes me is that the Spirit dwells and rises up within my sister. It's that it doesn't rise up and dwell within all of us to glorify His name. For Jesus is great, Arlene, and greatly to be praised. In the midst of this incredible revelation, He's told to write some letters to the churches. John would have been happy if he could have written a Christological letter like Colossians. Or an ecclesiastical letter like that of of Ephesians. But instead he has to write a realistic letter to seven regular churches. The news is not very good. He's been separated from the church for several years. The church had have been slowly but surely deteriorating. And so he's writing this letter to this church, to that church, to Laodicea, the church that doesn't need Jesus to do what he's doing. He puts his pen down. Here am I in prison. Here am I going through this. Look what's happening to the church. He talked of being wanting to be depressed. And suddenly he heard the creaking of a door. As he moves from one dimension to another dimension. And as he moves into this new dimension, he sees things that the natural eye cannot see. He hears things that the natural ears cannot hear. He appreciates things that the natural mind cannot comprehend. He sees the sevenfold expression of worship, which is only limited and to us in time because we're not sure how to worship in spirit and in truth. You hear them begin to sing. Holy, holy, holy kadosh, kadosh. Adonai Elohim Sevot Holy is the Lord He sees the elders bow down in reverence at his feet He heard them begin to sing Worthy Worthy blessing and honor Glory and power might and dominion belongs unto him John is being enraptured as he begins to rise from one sphere to another. Then he sees something. It's as though someone poured a bucket of ice cold water over his spirit. He sees a scroll sealed with seven seals. 
and John recognized the scroll. It's the title deeds to the future. And then he heard the voice. Who is worthy to take the scroll and to loose the seal thereof? He said, no one is found worthy above, on earth, or below the earth. And suddenly, the awareness of the magnitude of the trauma hits John, and he bursts into tears. The scroll of the future cannot be opened. That meant to say that everything he had suffered was in vain. Everything the church had gone through the last 40 years of intense persecution that was in vain. The fact that the world had no future, it would simply implode into nothingness. No meaning, no significance, just blankness. John sobs. And suddenly someone comes along and said, don't cry, John. Don't cry. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has the right to take the scroll and to loose the seventh seal thereof. John, don't cry. There is a future. Don't cry, John. There is hope. Don't cry, John. There's something for you, my brother. Suddenly, here's this crescendo, this pain of praise to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessed him and honor and glory and power and might and dominion forever and forever and forever and forever and forevermore unto him who hath loved us and loosed her from our sins in his own precious blood. And to him be the glory. And John is revived. He's revitalized because of Jesus. Amen. i got to close. You might say, but old man, what does this mean to me? Well, friend, let me give you, or oh, I could give you 20 things. Let me just give you a few. If you are feeling disconnected from reality by sin and shame, I invite you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus our Savior. For as many as received him, to them gave he the right 
to be connected as sons and daughters of God, even to those that believe in his name. You might say, old man, that's not my problem. My problem is I just seem to be wandering helplessly and hopelessly. I don't know. I seem to be going around in circles. I invite you to look at Jesus, the great shepherd who will lead you to paths into a place of refreshment and to lead you in paths of rightness. But you say, no, that's not my problem, old man. My old man is that I just don't seem to have any zip. My life is blah. I invite you to come to Jesus, the baptizer. He will anoint you with the Holy Spirit. That will indeed empower you to live. And he'll anoint you with fire, which will infuse you with passion to be able to walk through life. You might say, that's not my problem. My problem is that I'm living in defeat. I invite you to look at Jesus, whose title, one of his strange titles is Pantocrator, the one who is mighty, the deliverer, the awesome, the one who wants to come to your aid. You might say, but I need wisdom. Oh, good. You can come to the right person. His name is Jesus. Because he simply says, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in spirit, and you'll find rest for your soul. You see what I'm trying to tell you this morning? No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, come to Jesus. Jesus, he's the center of it all. He initiated history. He inhabits history. And he will bring it to fulfillment. And so this morning, as we look at Jesus, let me close. And to him, be glory in the church, both now and forever. And to him, who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the expression of his glory. And to him, and to him, and to him, for me and my house, whether it's to to hear the call to go home, or whether it's the cry, Baruch Haba, Habashem, blessed is he who comes the name of the Lord. Until that day, I am going to honor and glorify the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I recommend him to you. Amen.